It is good to be in L.A. So you can get your face in the camera. You know, I figured if I was going to see something 20 or 25 times, I ought to know more about it. You're the best son money can buy. It's a monkey. Well, sure, it's a monkey. But aside from that, it's a vivid, wonderful film. Entertainment is part of what makes us exceptional. I'm not, I'm not criticizing Hollywood. Without Derek Zoolander, male modeling wouldn't be what it is today. I, I mean, I have to say, when I, when I heard that, like, people actually watch this show, I was, I was actually pretty surprised. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 14th and final episode of Watching Mates. I'm your host this week, Mike Levito, and I'm joined by, as always, by Lars Emerson. It's uh, it's sad to be at the end of the road here, Mike. It's it's been an honor. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have another podcast together in the future. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> good point. It, it is good to come to the end of this one. It feels like we've been doing it longer than just like the six months, or really like eight months we've been doing it for. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this is our podcast hosted by thepostwar.com, in which we explore trends in film and cinema under each post-war president. As we progress from episode to episode, president to president, Lars and I each choose a film to capture the zeitgeist of that administration on the silver screen. And our episode this week, we'll be talking about America's 46th and current president, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Elected just last year at the age of 78, Biden's the oldest person to ever hold the office, the first to ever have a female vice president, who's of course Kamala Harris, and the first president from Delaware. Before becoming president, Biden had a long career in the Senate, where he served from 1973 until 2009, when he was sworn in as Barack Obama's vice president. Thus far in his young presidency, Biden has sought to undo many of the Trump administration's actions regarding immigration and climate change, has focused on fighting COVID-19 via recovery packages and an infrastructure bill, as well as a vaccine mandate applied to corporations that employ at least 100 people and basically every federal employee as well. In foreign policy, Biden is best known for the United States' fraught withdrawal from Afghanistan, which saw the deaths of 13 U.S. servicemen and the Taliban's takeover of the country. Despite entering the presidency with a relatively high approval rating, Biden's polling numbers have leveled off since, hovering around 45%. So we kind of talked about this on our, on another show, but Lars, what would you make of Biden's quote-unquote legacy, his, you know, eight-month legacy so far? <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of, you know, it's funny. I mean, I feel like when I was talking about the Trump administration, it was like a whole page worth of stuff. But, yeah, it, it's not been, it's, there's not too much we can say about Biden so far. I, I feel like he was underestimated for so long as a candidate. And, the, you know, then he, like, kind of is possibly the only Democrat who could have won this election, as we know in hindsight. I mean, this was this election ended up being much closer than we thought. Uh, and actually, Democrats way underperformed Biden, right? Is Biden yeah. actually overperformed congressional Democrats? But and then I, th- I think there was like this this like, oh, wow, Biden could be like the next FDR or or next LBJ, which may still be the case. I mean, he definitely has that ambition, and you do, you didn't see that from Bill Clinton or Obama, who I think had a much like uh, narrower view of the policy and the presidency. I think Biden's legacy so far and what it's shaping up to be is obviously still very much in the air, but it's it's def- it's it's. It's this understated normalcy, right? Is, is he kind of campaigned on like a return to normalcy <laughs> to steal another candidate's catchphrase? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that people on the left who are upset with Biden are also kind of upset about that, right? Is there's clearly a lot that's happened in the last four years that Biden is not addressing. And you can say it about voting rights, uh, possibly police reform. And yeah, Biden is probably the most left leaning president in a while. But that has yet to manifest completely. So <laughs> it's hard to forecast his policy with what little we know. But I think on a net positive, you can't follow Trump and be, you know, net negative. I, I just think it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's really nowhere to go but up, I think, in that regard. Um, yeah, I, I think that you're right. He ran as like a restorationist, right? He yeah. He did not run... Even though he is, you know, you can argue that he has thus far been more liberal than the last two Democratic presidents. He didn't really necessarily, I mean, he did run on things like police reform and, you know, expanding Obamacare and things like that. But, you know, the tone of his thing, like, he wasn't hope and change, right? He was like, 
we're, he, he, he was like, we're bringing in America. It was build back better, right? You know, yeah. it was the friendly version of make America great again in it, a way. It, it was, right? It's, it's very much like we need to go back to where America was at the like height of congressional deal making and like bipartisanship, which was in our past. <laughs> exactly. Um, but within that, there is like, like you said, like the subtle progressive, progressivism, right? Like, you know, there was so much like, oh, Trump is this new kind of conservative who is like, you know, socially very conservative and culturally conservative. But, you know, he's fiscally he's kind of out there. Right. You know, he's he doesn't mind spending money and work on infrastructure. Well, he didn't really do any of that. Or as Biden, it really wants to spend a lot of money on infrastructure. Right. He wants to pump a lot of money to the economy. And he has said recently that he probably wants to raise taxes on the very wealthy. Ooh. Uh, yes. And I think that his. Uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, no matter what you think about it, is like a pretty stunning reversal from the last, basically from the post-Cold War um, era, right? Like, he was very steadfast, and I am not going to let another president inherit this war. Like, we have to get out. I do not want to be here anymore. We should not be here right now. And I think that stringentness is like pretty, it, it's it's like actually like subtly radical in a way. <laughs> um mm-hmm. Like you and I were saying, maybe it was on the podcast, maybe we were just talking to each other, but it's like, it's hard, like, maybe Bernie Sanders would have, like, left faster, but it's hard to imagine, like, Biden's Afghanistan policy being that much different from, like, Bernie Sanders's. Right. It, and it's interesting you kind of mentioned, you know, his, his, his willingness to say, yeah, I want to spend bigger and I want to leave Afghanistan and stuff like that. Is I, I, I honestly, the more we get into the Biden administration, I see Biden more as like a foil to Obama than I do to Trump, right? Is it's like Trump versus Biden isn't actually like a comparison, but Obama and Biden are so, if not radically different, then like substantively, substantively different. Is Biden is in a way undoing the sins of the Obama administration more than he is the sins of the Trump administration. Yeah, I think that's fair. And he, he he's governing, and I'm sure his age has something to do with it, um, and the fact that, you know, there there really is no, there's nothing for him after the presidency, really. See, he's governing like there is nothing, he has nothing to lose, right? Like, yeah. He, he He's governing, and maybe if you're a, uh, a, a, a congressman in a swing district, you don't like that as much, but like, <laughs> yeah. you know, he, he is governing uh, like he has a mandate. Um, and I think a lot of that mandate is kind of self-generated in, in a good way. Anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about the movies, uh, as we said, coming out from 2010 through literally today. <laughs> Not 2010. Uh, excuse me. 2020. Uh, September 17th, 2021. <laughs> if you really want to split hairs. Oh, let's talk about them. What, what, what movie did you pick, Lars? Yeah, so we, we we have a very limited slate for Joe Biden. Um, so, you know, of the, like, ten movies anyone has ever heard of that have come out in the last year, I went with one currently in theaters that I had not seen, so you'll have to bear with us on this. <laughs> well, I, no, 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 none of us have seen this movie. We're <laughs> working totally uh, off the Wikipedia synopsis. No, I chose it, and then I went to see it, is what I should have yes. said. But I went with uh, 2021's uh, Free Guy. Directed by Sean Levy. It uh, stars Ryan Reynolds and Jodie Comer. And it tells the story of like a video game. And Ryan Reynolds plays Guy, who is like a non-player character in this video game. You know, a character that is not a person in real life. He's just like a computer-generated guy. Um, And he realizes that he's a background character in this open world game. uh, And then he finds out that the game is going to go on offline and he falls in love with a human player. And uh, that's the plot of Free Guy. (laughs) Uh, So I made Mike go see this in theaters, the first movie during this podcast for which that was the case. What did you think, Mike? Well, I'd also add that Jodie Comer is trying to prove that the creator of the game that guy lives in stole her code. Yes. Is is why why she she's there. Um what I think of this movie. I thought it was okay. You know, yeah. as, as I thought it was it was a perfectly enjoyable experience at the theaters. I found Ryan Reynolds to be annoying. Um I've said this to you in person. Like I he was doing like his like dinosaur Buddy the Elf thing. But yeah. the thing with Buddy the Elf is that it works because everyone around Buddy the Elf like doesn't like Buddy the Elf. 
Right. Whereas, like, early on in this movie, everybody likes Guy, and they all act right. like Guy, too, and it's very annoying. But, I mean, outside of that, it was, like, fine. I think Taika Waititi's very annoying in this movie as it, well. He, he is. <laughs> uh, he's, like, not good in this movie, actually. No. No. Uh, it, there, There's lots of just, like, it, it's very bright and flashy, and there's lots of, um, I think, grading things about it. But, like, it's, as far as, like, big-budget blockbusters go, you could do a whole lot worse. Yeah. I, I laughed. I had fun. It, it seems like the target audience is way more for, like, middle schoolers than I expected, and I haven't been in middle school in, you know, over ten years, so I don't know. <laughs> but that's not actually true. But <laughs> um, it is it is a little, you know, it's an okay movie. It's fine. For, yeah. a, for a novel concept, it's at least something. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it literally, like, points to originality, right? Yeah. Um, they they shoehorn in these references to uh, other Disney properties. This is a 20th century film, so it is technically also a Disney film. But, I mean, outside of that, it's, like, it's an original concept, you know? Yeah. So, points though, to that. Though I should say, do you know what film that we watched during the course of this podcast that it most <laughs> directly reminds me of? Um, They Live. Yes, because it has yeah. the same plot device. It's like you yeah. put on the glasses and That's you can true. see the real world. Yeah. Um, the, the sunglasses or whatever. And you know who wears sunglasses a lot? Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. You know, <laughs> there we go. There's our smooth transition. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's where I'm going with this movie For, from a Joe Biden standpoint. So uh, uh, the 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 three ways to unpack it. The first one is this is like a pandemic era movie, right? Is there were a couple of movies that came out during the pandemic. I'm thinking most explicitly of Palm Springs, where it's like it's kind of like a time loop movie. It's like Ryan Reynolds can't die. He wakes up in the same life every time someone kills his character. Um, and it's just like full of whimsy <laughs> in like the face of like certain doom, which is a very which feels very Joe Biden to me. It's just like. You know, guy like wakes up and goes about his day, and there's like explosions outside yeah. his window, and he's yeah. like got his goldfish and he's eating his cereal. It's like, mm-hmm. like Joe Biden is watching the potential collapse of America around him, and he's just like, oh come on. <laughs> well, and I, I feel like, but isn't that just like all of us too? Though it's like, you know, we I, I feel like most Americans have more or less gone like quote unquote back to normal, but the pandemic is actually worse than it's ever been, <laughs> right? And. Uh, there's unrest all over the world and in the country, so yeah, we're all just trying to like put on our guy face and and go to work, even though you know stuff's falling apart. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think absolutely, and I think being this like unfazed character is very much how like Joe Biden kind of like uh, presents himself. But the, the truth of his like you know he's been public he's been in public service for fifty years plus. Um, and at the end of the day, this movie is kind of about like guy leveling up, right? Is he he puts in work, like hard work to succeed. It's like this guy's, you know, in the movie they're like, oh, he keeps leveling up faster than any player or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but like, you know, that's that's kind of um, what Joe Biden is, is right? He's he's someone who very clearly put in the work. I feel bad because we keep ragging on Obama about this, but you could <laughs> say that about both Obama and Trump, right? Is they clearly did not put in, especially Trump, right? Is they neither of them put in the level of work that someone like Biden or Hillary Clinton did, mm-hmm. and yet they both like rose to prominence before them. And so the lesson there is kind of like put in the work and just be a good guy. And, and I feel like that's kind of been Joe Biden's like path. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that works. What also struck me is that like. I think there are multiple times where he's trying to convince his fellow NPCs, which, by the way, like, NPC has become a phrase that's, like, also been embraced by, like, these conspiracy theorists who think that people, like, who are convinced that they're, like, crisis actors, like, you know, pretending that school shootings are happening, pretending that COVID's happening, and they call them NPCs. Anyway, so that, that it's become, like, the Matrix thing where it's, like, Red Pill's been ruined, so is NPC, but, uh... I think there are multiple times where he's trying to convince when, when he is trying to convince his fellow NPCs that they are NPCs, but that they can still do things differently. Right. Like he says, like you don't ha- like we don't have to live this way, right? We don't have to keep doing this. And I think that's I think really encapsulates a lot of what has happened really since like March of 2020, right? Which is when Biden sort of began his political ascent. 
Well, his political one. ascent after being senator and vice president, but his, sure. His, his second, his second, his final political ascent. Yeah. You know, unless he becomes emperor of the world eventually. Um, <laughs> okay, Sean Hannity, watch it. Uh, you never know. Hey, he could end up becoming like, you know, secretary general of the UN. Anyway, I, I, I think that, you know, it, it was like an awakening experience for a lot of people, right? Um, not only do you have people working from home for, in some cases, for the first time in their lives, they're doing it full time, which has really caused us to rethink how work from home works, right? You know, there's some argument that the reason that the jobs numbers aren't recovering as well is because people don't want to go back to the old jobs that they did have and are trying to sort of, like, reskill themselves. You had this huge, like, racial reckoning after the George Floyd murder, which... Um, I mean, like, changed, I just think, lots of people's attitudes about race. Yeah. I can't tell you how many, like, right-leaning people I have talked to have been like, oh, he was clearly murdered, or, like, how many Black Lives Matter signs I have seen in, like, my lily-white hometown, right? You know? I mean, literally, you look at just, like, voting patterns and how different those have been in some places, right? Yes, they started to turn in 2016, but there were counties that have not voted for Democrats in... Uh, decades, like literally half a century, that all of a sudden flipped for Biden. And granted, the same was true for some counties, like Mahoning County, Ohio, or whatever. Sir James, excuse me, the same was true for some counties, uh, flipping for Trump. And you even saw a shift in certain minority groups towards Trump as well. And I think, you know, as we talked about earlier, right, like this idea of what government should do, I think, is also kind of exploded, right? I think this idea, you know, I think that. COVID really helped kickstart this move towards a more economically interventionist government. And I think that that's not like, you know, we're not at like full Medicare for all yet, but I think we're as close as we're going to come to it possibly. Right. And by until, well, until it happens. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, you know what I mean? Right. It, it has made, it has made that like more possible and Biden's kind of shepherding that along. And it's like, honestly a pivot that I don't even think like, you know, if a Republican becomes president soon, I don't even think that it's it's hard, it's very hard to start that stop that march, right? Like Josh right. Hawley isn't stopping that march, you know. Well, no, I mean he, <laughs> I mean the, the Trump wing is, I mean Trump has spent way more money than Joe Biden has so far, yeah. right? Yeah. And I, well, the end of free guy in their kind of utopia does end with. You know, he's like, there will be free bubble gum ice cream for everyone. Tell me that's not a government handout. <laughs> right. Right. Um. Yeah, I I think that's all true. I feel like we're we're pulling we're pulling very hard out of this movie, but I actually think the most relevant plot point is the real world plot point, right? And and that's um, Taika Waititi is like the antagonist in this movie. He plays Antoine, who's like the owner of this not quite tech giant, but like video game giant that's like ostensibly a tech giant, and he's a liar. He Never really made anything of himself. In fact, he stole his ideas from others. And he's willing to destroy his entire system just to get his way. <laughs> Who does that sound like to you? <laughs> it's like the, re- the, the real world stuff almost feels like the most politically relevant, uh, despite what we've pulled out of that other stuff in the game, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it is also literally about, like, IP rights and... Um, you know, who who has, like, the right to, like, an algorithm and stuff. Like, there is, yeah, a lot of stuff. I mean, really, the more interesting stuff is happening in the real world in this movie. Yeah. So from a story perspective. Right. Um, they basically invent AI. But, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, and, like, not even just Trump, right? Like, you know, you could it could be Elon Musk. Like, it could be, right. you know, Mark Zuckerberg, right? These figures who have, like, I think people kind of, maybe not idolize them, but who were, like, maybe viewed as, like, the future of the American economy in many ways were, but uh, but have since kind of, like, had these big heel turns. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely feels, probably because it is the most recent movie that has come out in this podcast that we've watched, it feels the most 21st <laughs> century, 2020s movie Yeah, that we watched. Um, did you like the Trebek appearance, Mike? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the Chris Evans appearance, too. That was also good. <laughs> I think the funniest part in this movie is when... Because um, he orders the same coffee order every morning, and it's, like, the only coffee order they have. I forget what it is. Yeah. 
and he goes in and he and he, he makes the order. Everybody like gasps and looks around at him, and the cop is sitting there and just goes, "Somebody's about to get shot." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was funny. Uh, I, yeah, that's free guy. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think the last thing I would say is it's just like, guy kind of becomes like this manifestation of what people either want or don't want, mm-hmm. in a way that I think uh, any public figure, but especially like the president, has now. It's like Joe Biden. If you if you're a Republican, Joe Biden is the manifestation of everything you don't like. Yes. And if you're a Democrat, he's the manifestation of, well, Democrats qu- aren't quite as homogenous, but he's like a manifestation of everything you want. It's like you were like pleasantly surprised by him, and it's just like kind of baked in. It's kind of sad. Well, and the, the whole point of, right, of like what, what makes Guy a guy, the reason why he, he becomes self-aware, basically, is because um, Jody Comer and Joe Keery of Stranger Things fame have developed this like they developed a video game the idea was that it was like you just you didn't really take action you just kind of observed um Mm. and things kind of constantly changed around you and the the way it first manifests in the game that guy lives in is that he's the first one to start changing and i think you could make that argument about joe biden right like he has constantly evolved over his global career. Some people might call it a flip-flop thing, but I think it's really just more a genuine sort of, like, evolution on political issues and then also just, like, you know, adjusting to what is, you know, electorally viable, right? Yes. I mean, you know, how, how many times did Republicans try to make his opposition to busing back in, like, the 80s or 90s or whatever an issue when he was trying to speak out about policing issues, right? And it right. never really stuck because I think most people understand that, you know, people can change on things like that. It the flip flopping thing bothers me so much because it's like it's 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 good for people to like when they have new information to change their mind. And yeah, I I know that this was like Mitt Romney was accused of flip flopping a lot, and which it was just I actually think that's probably slightly more legitimate because he like you know he basically invented Obamacare, yeah, and then he was like oh this is terrible even though he was like kind of behind it. Mm. Um, but it's like yeah, it's it's total like Obama was against gay marriage. Trump right, yeah. is the first president to have been elected who supported gay marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, Obama was not a fan. Biden has actually been a fan far longer than Obama. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, Obama came out in favor. He wasn't really flip-flopping. He had, like, learned and evolved in the political situation involved where it's like, yeah, this is actually fine. That's yeah. good. It's healthy to change your opinions. Yeah. It's okay, people. The, the I, I was talking with somebody during the primary and, like, Elizabeth Warren came up and they're like, you know, Elizabeth Warren used to be a Republican. And I was like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Ronald Reagan used to be a Democrat. Like, right. It's not like, it's like, so either your position is A, she's just disingenuous because she changed her political party, as if millions of people don't do that over right. the course of the life, or B, she's secretly still a Republican. It's like, I, neither, like, I, I, okay, one of those things is just like, then you have to deal with. And the other thing is just like a thing that I don't think is actually true. So like, I don't know what point you're trying to make. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's from someone who was like, did not vote for, well, I didn't actually vote in the primary at all. I'm the registered independent. But anyway, I was not like me trying to defend Elizabeth Warren. It was just me trying to be like, this is just like a stupid idea for people to get mad about. Anyway. Yes, it um, is. Okay. I guess we can talk about my movie then, which is called Minari. came out last year, 2020, uh, before Joe Biden was president. <laughs> it's uh, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, written by Lee Isaac Chung, starring Stephen Yun. Han Yeri, Alan Kim, Noel Kate Cho, Yo Yu Jung, and Will Patton. And Minari is the story of a Korean American family that moves from California to rural Arkansas because it is uh, the father, played by Stephen Young's dream, to basically have his own farm slash garden and to uh, instead of working in the hatchery, which is where he and his wife work, and they sex chicks. It is his dream to have basically a Korean produce business. And the movie is, it's, it's like a little plotless, excuse me, a little plotless. It's really just about, um, kind of the tension between, um, the father Jacob and the mother Monica about, you know, is this dream viable? Should they have left the city? Should they move to a larger city in Arkansas? You know, and him trying to make his farm work and economically viable. And then also kind of this conflict between 
Uh, it's really told from the perspective of the son in the family uh, named David. This, I guess, tension between him and his grandmother who moves from Korea to Arkansas to help care for uh, the kids. And, you know, she's very Korean and kind of boisterous. And David is kind of like slowly becoming more American. And, and she's not really meeting his expectations. What, what did you think of this, Lars? Yeah, yeah I, I thought it was good. Uh, I hadn't seen it, uh, but it was... It was pretty good. I, I'm not like a huge fan of these slightly more art house-y films that are just kind of about nothing, uh, <laughs> which I, I think I'm taking from your Letterboxd review. It's like it's kind of Oscar baity. It's become like the new yeah. Oscar bait. Yeah. Um, but like this is a very well done visually. Uh, is it, it's a very small scale, but it's also a very visually beautiful movie. So I, I do like it. And I, of course, really enjoy Stephen Stephen Young. He's uh He's awesome. Yeah, he's good. Uh, the, the grandmother, played by Yun Yu Jung, who won the Academy Award, very entertaining. It is very much, yeah, like you said, in the vein of, like, Nomad Midland, which you did like. Um, I did. Very I much did. in the vein of, like, Nomad Land or Roma, where it's just kind of, like, vignettes of a person's life without really, like, a, a, a huge, uh, like, tight plot. Yes, um, I, I would say I do like that kind of movie. It's just I do need like I need an orchestral moment, like a big <laughs> climax, and yeah. I, I feel like most of those films don't really have one. Yeah, this movie it climaxes and then it ends. I think is what you would say. Right. Yo, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, and my thinking of picking this for Joe Biden was really what I see in this is that like this. So this is very much a movie about the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you look at the two posters for this, and it's both one is the kid in front of like, a painted-on American flag, and there's the entire family in front of a painted-on American flag of, like, a shed, right? And, yeah. and it's literally about somebody, um, an immigrant, trying to, you know, make something of themselves, trying to become self-made, and, you know, the most American of, of economic engines, agriculture, right? Or we like to think so, you know? Um, Even though it's only, like, 2% of the economy, but yeah. sure. Yeah. Um you know, and doing so in this, like, very American environment, right? Rural Arkansas. When you think of, you know, places where Korean Americans might live, you probably don't think of rural Arkansas. Um, and and to me, it's sort of like a, a re- it's, well, when I was watching this, it was like, it would have been so easy for them to make a movie where it's a Korean family who moves to Arkansas, and, like, the, the, the main conflict is just, like, the racist they encounter in Arkansas, mm. right? Like, there is a guy who sells them a tractor and ends up working on their farm, like this like white evangelical guy. It'd be so easy to make him like super racist, right? It'd be yeah. so easy to make the, the bank to get the loan from predatory. It'd be so easy to make the church they try to attend also like racist and intolerant. But in fact, there are like microaggressions, but nobody's like, ah, get out of our church, you know? It would be so right. easy to make a movie where there's this nice family all facing off a bunch of Clint Eastwood's from Grand Chamber, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? but but it's not. It's uh, no. it's not that at all. It's really about them finding their place in this community, and not like assimilating a hundred percent, right? Like the mother is right. very much like you are Korean children, you're not American children, and like the point of like their business is they're they're actually trying to target like the influx of Korean immigrants into the country, right? And rather than portray sort of immigration and sort of like traditional Americanism as opposing forces, I think it tries to portray them as parts of the same whole and as dependent upon each other and part of like a cycle. And I think that that kind of communicates the modern democratic democratic and therefore the Biden administration's vision of America, right? It, it is not a colorblind society for sure, but it's also not a confessional society, right? It is at once neither sort of like demands total assimilation, but is also not one where we want people to be living in their own sort of like little communities, right? It's one where you, where the, it, it, America is what you make of it. And, and, and I feel, I feel like that's, that, that was kind of like, I feel like that's kind of like the Biden message, right? It's, it's like, it recognizes that like post-racialism is impossible, but we can, we can reach a kind of consensus that works for everybody. Whereas I feel like if this movie were made in like the Obama era, it would try to strive for that kind of like post-racial idea. Right. I, I agree. That's well said, Mike. Um, and, and I also think, like you said, it's like they they don't face any hardship because of, you know, their immigration status or their race necessarily, directly at least. 
Um, they, they, they do everything right. Right. Is, is mm-hmm. he, he goes out there, he has a vision, he wants to work hard and he does work hard. Uh, you know, they become members of the community. Uh, but it, it's, it's not enough at the end of this movie. It's, sometimes working hard isn't enough. And I, and I think Biden is kind of the first president to really acknowledge that. I mean, I, I get that from Republicans, right? Is they're, they're very like, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, or at least that's what they've always said. And and I think, you know, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama were definitely also in that vein, is they were like, oh, we're not going to help you out. Like, mm-hmm. we'll help you out more than a Republican, but it's like, at the end of the day, you got you to gotta do this yourself, mm-hmm. right? And and I think Biden is the first person, possibly because he's the most recent president to go through this. I mean, in the last God, 50 plus years, uh, it's like sometimes like just like working hard isn't going to be enough. Sometimes you need help uh, and government may be the only option for that is if, if your dad loses his job, that could like ruin your entire life. Like maybe you have to drop out of college. Like, sometimes people just need help to be the best version of themselves. And this movie, like that, that is the point at the end of this movie is like they do everything right and it's not enough. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and that it's interesting, right? Cause it, it ends with, it, we've talked about how this is kind of like a pleasant movie and there's not sort of like a lot of, um, the nasty kind of like you expect, but there are these like sort of hints at like, uh, darkness or sort of instability. And like the one is that like they, uh, the grandmother and the son, they go out, they're just hanging out by this, like, creek where the grandmother plants Minari, which is some form of, like, lettuce or cabbage, some vegetable I'm not familiar with. But basically, there's this snake crawling around, and the son starts throwing rocks at it, and the grandmother's like, no, 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 no. stop throwing rocks at it, like, because then it will hide. It's much better to have it out in the open, like, where we can watch it. And I feel like there's something there. You can look at it, like, two ways, right? I think you can look at it maybe as sort of, like, the the far right in a way. Where it's like, yes. Um, but I also think you could look at it as like racism in general, where it's like I, there, there's just a, a a segment of the voting population and the, the commentating population who find it so offensive to imply that racism exists in America and mm-hmm. actually find the mere acknowledgement of racism discussion of it to it to be counterproductive in and of itself. And I think that for a lot of people, that uh, concept was kind of exploded in you know the summer of 2020. But I think that, like, Biden, the modern Democratic Party, it's like, no, it's like by acknowledging it, we're keeping it in, uh, top of mind because then we can address it best. And we, we will we'll be able to identify it when it does happen and, and sort of keep tabs on it. Right. Like, there's no use strike if, if we, quote unquote, throw rocks at it. Right. Like, it's just going to crawl back into its hole. Right. It's not actually going to, to evaporate. It's just going to it's still going to be there. We're just not going to be able to know about it. It's going to be harder to, to discuss. Yeah, and then also at the end is so there's a thread throughout this movie where uh, the son David has a heart murmur, and the mother's very afraid that he's basically just going to die if he does anything strenuous. Um, and they take this trip from Arkansas to Oklahoma City. It's like twofold. It's like one they're going to get him checked out by some specialists in Oklahoma City, and the other is the uh, husband is going to like basically try and sell his his vegetables to a like, Korean grocer there, and. While they're waiting for the results of the test they run on this kid's heart, they have this discussion about the farm. And Stephen Young's basically like, look, like, if you want to leave the kids and go back to California or to Rogers, Arkansas or something, you can do it. But I have to stay here. I have to I, the kids have to see me be successful at something. Right. And then uh, they find out that his heart condition is basically killing itself. will be fine. Um, they go to the grocery store. He signs like a contract with a the guy. They're going to start shipping groceries. Um, and then after they do that, the mother is like clearly upset and the dad's like, what's going on? And she's like, you chose the farm over our family and things are going good right now. They're not always going to be going well. And I don't know if we'll be able to stay together as a family when they start to go bad. And of course they come home and find out that the barn where all the vegetables are start to burn down. Um, God damn it, grandma. Because the grand, basically the grandmother had a stroke. As she's recovering, she insists on trying to still help out around the house. They burn their trash in this movie, <laughs> and she's burning the trash, and it, it floats out, and it burns a bunch of stuff. And that's kind of how it ends, right? Is that, like, the, the barn's up in smoke. The uh, husband and wife run into the shed, and it's this sort of, like, consensus moment where 
the wife is helping feed his dream by helping save the vegetables, but then he realizes once they get to a point that it's not worth saving all of them, and he pulls her out instead. And it ends with all of them sleeping on the floor together in their trailer, and that's kind of the end of the movie. And so I feel like you can read that in one of two ways, which is like, well, in times of crisis, we will come together, which, again, was the Biden promise. Is he delivering on it? Nah. Is it his fault, though? Exactly, (laughs) right. Um, But I think there's also an argument to be made where it's like, we have to acknowledge that there are, like, very serious and deep divisions in this country, and we don't know if we're actually going to stay together. Right? I'm not saying that like anyone's going to secede, but it's like we have to acknowledge that like the center cannot always hold, um, yeah. no matter how how many sort of like glittering generalities we plaster over it. Like we have to acknowledge that this is like a really deep and serious problem. I, I think that's something for as much of a consensus maker as Biden is supposed to be. I think that's also something he's very conscious and cognizant of. Yes, uh, absolutely. I, I also think this is a. You know, it's almost it's very even though it ends in that very sad way, it's very optimistic. Right. Is is, you know, I, I think of, you know, there's kind of nothing more American than those who believe and try. And I could mm-hmm. believing and trying could mean anything. Right. Is is um, this is a very religious movie in a way, too, is, is, you know, the church scene is kind of where they most directly integrate with the community or the community integrates with them. And I mean, they like talk about an exorcism and they befriend the like evangelical guy who who like walks every Sunday with the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think I would I would predict that Biden may be the last like truly religious president. He's he pretty. Uh, I remember this because I had to follow his schedule every day is he like <laughs> usually goes to church every Sunday. That was not the case. For a long time, mm-hmm. you know, under under our previous two presidents, certainly. But I, I think you could make the case that he's the last truly religious president. I mean, uh, I, I like I'm you, don't you think like Josh Hawley? I don't like I'm a harpy on Josh Hawley being president. I hope it doesn't happen. But <laughs> yeah. like, I, I feel like I don't know there. I, I, I don't entirely agree with you there. I think he might be the most he, he is. I, I would say outspoken about it in a way that even like George W. Bush wasn't. Yeah, that, that's more of what I mean. I mean, I mean mm-hmm. in the, the consistency and like bringing in his faith as a personality as opposed to a policy and yeah. then like actually going to church every every mm-hmm. Sunday. So so there's that. But the the, the other way in which, you know, uh, this movie is very op- optimistic is, is there's it's like you say that the, it could have been so easy to make this movie about us versus them and, you know, these immigrants versus these rednecks in Arkansas. But they don't. And, and it's because at the end of the day, they kind of have the same direction, same interest and same uh, beliefs. Right. Is there, there's this book from 1970 by Albert Murray called The Omni Americans. And there's a quote, uh, I believe, in that book that goes, it's like the so-called black and so-called white people of the U.S. resemble nobody else in the world so much as they resemble each other. And I think. That's why, you know, people have kind of moved away from, like, the idea of America as a melting pot and moved to more of, like, it may be a jar of jelly beans. Mm-hmm. But but I think, in a way, that's true. I mean, I remember when The Economist was reporting on, like, uh, after uh, the conviction of George Floyd's killer uh, about, like, what led them both to the same place. And and they kind of talked about, you know, there's there's this inherent tension now and everyone sees it as like black versus white but in the reality like these the the black people in america and the white people in america have so much more in common than the white people in america do with the white people in germany and Mm. people tend to forget that i'm not sure that's entirely true but it's definitely a nice thought and i think it's a thought that the biden administration is very uh directly embraced and this does too i think another scene in this movie that kind of like highlights that kind of idea is so, yeah, the, the, the guy who works on the farm, Paul, he's like this very religious evangelical um, to the point where, like, he does not even want to touch a cigarette. Right. Um, and, like, every Sunday, instead of going to, like, the regular church, he walks with a cross, you know, up and down the dirt road or whatever. And there's, like, a bus that picks up the kids to bring them to church. There's a scene. And so, like, one time when they're driving back from church, the Phil family, they see him. They're like, oh, this is kind of, like, weird. Um but uh, 
there's a later scene where the bus is driving down and all the kids are like making fun of him. And uh, one that makes a comment was like, oh, I heard that he, he, uh, like his house has dirt floors and he doesn't have any water, like any running water. And at that point in the movie, there was no running water in the Yi family's house. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's like, oh, they, like our, our struggles sort of like, uh, bind us, I think. And I think that was a big thing in COVID, right? Is that like, it is something that was affecting literally everybody's life. Granted, some people more than others, but it was something that affected literally everybody. Right. Yeah. I, All right. I agree. It's a, so, it's a very good movie to end this season with, Mike. I, I, I like this choice. Yeah. It's, it's hopeful, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So that's Minari. What? Thinking about Minari, thinking about Free Guy. What, what kinds of things can we say about this very young administration <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and trends in film during it? I, I mean, I, I guess the only, these films have so much in common. Uh, the, 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 the most clear through line is kind of like work hard and make something, right? It's, it's about like putting in work. Um, and the obstacles to that work is like, sometimes you need people to help you out with putting in that work. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I was kind of thinking about this last week is, is I see both of these films as somewhat, certainly Minari as, as like agency less is there's, there's a, I, I think of Trump as someone who had agency. Like he, 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 Never was powerless. He he always like acted with complete authority, and I I see Biden as more, and I get this as more of like a management thing. But he strikes me as almost a, a president without agency, <laughs> in a way. Is is there's kind of this attitude that we talked about uh, with Free Guy, where he's just kind of he's trying to guide down the right path, but he can't actually tell people to go down that path, right? Is he's just kind of walking he's walking down the path he believes is right and it seems like he's right whereas trump was like you have to come with me on this path or you will suffer and th- there was like an agency there uh and a you know minari deals with that directly where it's like you know even if they do everything they can't you know it doesn't work out and free guy is more just like well the world is chaos and so we can just be the best person we are yeah, that, that's interesting. I, what I think, it almost makes you wonder if, like, I don't know if the imperial presidency will ever end, but it's like, I think it, it's taken the biggest hits under the Biden administration, right? Mm. Where, you know, he has openly said that he wants them to repeal the AUMF, right? Right, yeah. You know, that is, like, probably the biggest voluntary session of presidential power since, like, the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, right? Yeah. I just think there's just, like, a sense of beleaguered optimism, right? A sense that, like, uh, you know, we, 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 sh- we should hope for the best, we should maybe even expect the best, even if things around us aren't always going well. And I feel like, you know, that's that's kind of how Biden has always been defined as, like, this happy warrior-type figure. Um, the sense of, like, you know, we really want things to be better, and we think we see a light at the end of the tunnel, but, you know, yeah. people still come in every day and blow up the city. <laughs> right. Um, things like that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk now about kind of our, our whole journey as a whole, and not, not just with these movies, but the podcast as a whole. Um, why, why don't you kick off that discussion, Lars? Yeah, thanks Thanks for hanging it over my way, Mike. <laughs> I'm going to assert my authority again, <laughs> my agency. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're ending this season. It's, it's been, a, it's been a nice wrong. And I, I guess I just want to do kind of what we did with, with running mates and just kind of cap off, you know, kind of what we've witnessed. So, so I guess my first question would be like, you know, we've kind of witnessed, and this may be a recency bias thing is, is like films seem to be more directly tied to what's going on. It's like films, like, I mean, Black Linesman is a great example, right? It's like very directly about what was happening under the Trump administration at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure we could say the same about, you know, <laughs> when we watched Lolita for Kennedy <laughs> or the hitchhiker for Truman, it's like, that's not really about either of them, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, do we think that trend is going to continue? Do you think it's a trend at all? <laughs> I I think that I just think it's, it, it'll be way much. I, I think it, <laughs> My boring answer is it'll depend on who's the president. Um, hmm. 
like it, it's just I, I feel like with Obama and Trump, we have had two very, we've had two celebrity presidents basically, right? Um, celebrities in different ways, but both celebrities nonetheless. And like Joe Biden's not a celebrity, right? No, and yeah. so it is more difficult to directly uh, translate his image or his likeness into film. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I mean, and that was even the thing like at like you know pro-Trump or right-wing rallies like. You know, they have, like, anti-Obama, they have anti-Hillary merch, they have anti-Biden merch. Like, the anti-Biden merch is does not sell, because people just yeah. don't care, right? right? He's just harder to sort of caricature. And so, yeah, I, I think that, um, I think that's, that's probably where I stand on that, is, is that, yeah. It's not a foregone conclusion that, no, that as we become more polarized, our American cinema experience will not necessarily reflect that. I, yeah. I kind of think it will. It may not always be about politics, but I think, I mean, we saw this kind of in Free Guys. There is like this element of, you know, it's very hip for all these movies to make a social statement now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that I think mostly came out of the Trump administration, but it seems like that trend is continuing. Yeah. I just think polarization will breed. I mean, I feel like more companies have come out under Biden than they ever did under Trump being like, Oh yeah, we're for voting rights. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting too. It's like, there's probably the wonders that is that just because they all have Twitter accounts now and you have feel like you have to say everything when you have a Twitter account. Right. right. Um, that, and, and like, there's certain like magazines that have endorsed candidates who had never endorsed candidates before. Like, I think, um, yeah. Like popular mechanics, I think endorsed Biden, even though they had never endorsed <laughs> It's like that or Scientific America, like one of those two, uh, made their first ever presidential endorsement. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I, but I do wonder if it becomes sort of like decentralized, right, and not as much focused on uh, a president, right? Like, say, you know, eventually, like, uh, I don't know, Ron DeSantis becomes president, oh, right? Mike. To see, I have the kind of image that'll be as easy to sort of like insert into a movie like Black Klansman, I'm not entirely sure, yeah. right? But, like, you know, if 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 there is another, like, George Floyd-like event, do I think that, like, very direct parallels will be drawn to that in movies in the future? Yeah, I do. And because it, yeah. it is... And, like, honestly, like, this started, I think, even before Trump, right? Like, I think, I think it yeah. really started probably, like, 2014 around Ferguson um, and really the first wave of Black Lives Matter protests. I, I kind of think it started under... Bush Jr., honestly. I, I feel like the movies we picked for Bush, which were like The Dark Knight, Team America, World Police, are very... They, they both make big social statements and social mm-hmm. commentary. Um, I, I don't know. What what would you say, now that we've gone through the last 70 years of presidential and c- cinematic history, what, what would you say about the relationship between you know, presidencies and how film and their eras kind of progressed? What would I say about the relationship? I think that... Well, I guess it, I do think it became more explicit over time, right? That's what we were just really talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, even though I think that we picked, like, good movies for Nixon, like, those don't really explicitly, like, point out Nixon, right? They're more about sort of, like, the mood of right. the era. Um, and, and I guess I guess you're kind of right. I, I mean, I, I think in a way politics has become culture, Right. Um, yeah, the old idea was that politics is downstream of culture, but I think now it has just kind of become pop culture, and those lines are just going to be continued to blur and become kind of inextricable, right? Um, you know, there's this sort of like you know classic right wing complaint where it's like ah everything's political now, blah blah blah. It's like well everything has always been political, but it has become more explicit. Like I will give them that. Yeah, I I I kind of agree. I, I just think you know, cinema reflects the. American cinema reflects America in the way that politicians reflect America. It's, it's yeah. this is what the people want, and it is delayed. In both cases, it's delayed. It's like, yeah, Trump was like a manifestation of some stuff that came that happened a few years before. In the same way that, uh, you know, I mean, the Black Klansman is something a manifestation of what happened a year before, right? And, and I think you could say that you know, there's there's a delay in both, but I I see them both emerging from. The center, which is just people. The politicians reflect people, and movies and pop culture reflect people. 
Exactly. And, you know, I, I think really increasingly it's like we think of the 80s as the Reagan era, the 90s right. as the Clinton era, the 2000s right. as the Bush era. Um, and I, I'm inter- I'm kind of interested in, like, what happens, and that's a lot of this because we just had have had these long strings of, like, two-term presidents. Mm. <laughs> and I'm curious, like, what, what if that ends up not being the case, right? Like, yeah. Trump is the first one-term president of my lifetime. <laughs> right. What if there are more? You know, what happens then? Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you have any other season conclusions to watching mates, Mike? Any thoughts on our project here? Um, I don't think so. I think maybe um, if you try hard enough, you can make any movie about the president. <laughs> oh, that's our. Don't uh, tell us. Don't tell them our secrets. <laughs> but only some people can do it very well, which is why oh. you can listen to us. Right. Um, I, I don't. I don't think that I do. I think this is an interesting project. I. I think it simultaneously sort of like enhances every movie you watch and then also like maybe ruins every movie you watch where then you can't like it makes it harder to like not think of the political implications. Yeah, but Um, I was doing that anyway. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's been a it's been a good time. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's our show, everybody. As always, we hope you enjoyed it, and you can drop us a line on social media or on thepostwriter.com to let us know if you've enjoyed following along with the show. I've been Lars Emerson. You can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. I'm Michael Levito. You can find me on Letterboxd at Amerimike and Twitter at Amlevito. And this was our last episode of the season, and it's been a real pleasure diving through the last 70 years of American cinematic history and the presidents along the way. It takes a lot to make this show. Michael and I do hours of recording, research, and movie watching. Uh, then, of course, we reach a ton of different conclusions, and then we have to poke each other on the air to come up with a coherent conclusion each episode, which is not as easy as we make it seem. Um, not to mention all the editing and background work to push out the episodes and our fun photos we do for each episode. Uh, but this has been a passion project for us, so we hope you've gotten something out of it by listening. Do you have any closing thoughts you want to let people know, Mike? Nah, just thanks for listening. Listen to our other podcast, too. Yeah. You can always drop us a line at thepostwriter.com and catch us there. In the meantime, who knows what the future holds? Maybe someday we'll come back for a season two and do this whole gambit over again. Maybe we'll push out a special episode anytime we get a new president to review. Uh, let us know what you want us to do. You know, we like hearing from you. You can email us at contact at thepostwriter.com. And you can catch both Mike and myself on both Pony Express, our general interest podcast, and Politics Express, our political podcast, in the meantime. Uh, thanks for listening to Watching Mates, and we hope you've enjoyed this ride with us. Bye.